0: I'm sitting here in the corner meckraming with my pubic hair. What?
1: This is TGN.
0: And welcome to the exit interview of Antithesis, Book One, Predestination, and Other Games of Chance. And joining me, T. Morris of Morris.com, is the man who knows how to make titles longer than his own schlong. It is, in fact,
1: (laughs) J. Daniel Sawyer. Hello. Dan, how the hell are (laughs) you? It's, I'm very happy to be done with tell the me book. You're, tell, me,
0: t- tell me you're working, well, well. considering that it took you just as long to uh, podcast the book as it was for me to read the title of the book, tell me that you are <laughs> at least tweaking that in some way, shape, or form.
1: Yes, uh, at, at the request of a publisher who is uh, currently dithering about publishing the book, it is, uh, the series title is changing to The Antithesis Progression, and the title of book one is Predestination. And that's it. And then the, the, the funky titles will continue as chapter headings like they are. Ah, uh-huh. okay. That, so that, the, irony, that makes... the irony is preserved, but it'll fit on a book. <laughs> <laughs> that way you don't get your... Well, no, I, I do think
0: it is, is a very clever ploy of getting your own shelf at Barnes & Noble. But besides that, yeah, that was going to a
1: There's just not quite enough pages to fill that whole shelf with one book yeah. is the problem. Well,
0: well, you know the old joke. Uh, you know, uh,
1: the, you're
0: at a ball game and something you hear. Would the driver of the car license plate XKW four four seven two two one three nine four seven Whiskey Tango? Dan November David four four two eight one four seven one <laughs> dash three one three one two four.
1: Please move your car. Your license plate is blocking the parking lot. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah, that reminds me of the Monty Python sketch, uh, the election night sketch where they've got this one candidate. That was close. Malcolm, Peter, Brian, Telescope, Adrian, Umbrella
0: Stand, Jasper, Wednesday, Stoat Gobbler, John, Raw
1: Vegetable, Arthur, Norman, Michael, (laughs) Featherstone, Smith, Northcott, Edwards, Harris, Mason Frampton <laughs> tr- 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 Jones fruit bat Gilbert will keep her welcome <laughs> Pussycat don't sleep in the subway
0: Barton, mannering Smith Very silly. No boats. So um all right, so I guess the first the first big question is how does it feel now that you're all done?
1: Um, It felt really great for about a day and a half. <laughs> then the panic set in. <laughs> because, now, oh, pleased to be explaining the, the panic. Well, A, yeah, as you, among, f- among very few other podcasters, know what kind of time us production whores put into things. So there was the, holy shit, my life has no meaning now that I'm not doing 30 hours a week on this podcast. Um, then there was the, oh, and I've got to release, I've got to start releasing down from 10 and to May, beginning of June. Mm, and it's not quite done being written yet. Right. Oh, <laughs> and I've got, and I've got the triple threat coming up on 9909 with Free Will. Yeah, the and, nine, nine. right, right, right. And that's, and that's only rough drafted, so, um. Free Will, shit. if I remember correctly, if
0: I remember correctly, it's Free Will, and, uh, yeah. Metamore City season two. Mm-hmm. And th- th- does, Digital uh, Magic. does Lester have a. Does Lester have a title for
1: that yet? Uh, Things Unseen is the novel, though he's cheating and using several guest short stories to kick off his so that he gets more writing time. Bastard. That's because because Lester is a pussy. He wishes he was
0: me, okay? He wishes he was me, but... Love you, Chris. Metamore City. com. Okay, so... um, No, no, but but seriously, uh, the... um, the weird thing when you're, when you're done, when you actually wrap up a, a, a patio book, particularly, and I'm going to get to the whole thing about production elements, um, but particularly with, 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 with as much uh, blood, sweat, and tears as we pour into it, uh, I think it's more of a, of a weight is lifted off my shoulders, and then I ask myself, okay, what's next?
1: Yeah, and it was like that. Uh, I, had, I had a day and a half of utter bliss. I just laid back. I watched movies without, like, you know, intentionally left the computer in the other room so I wouldn't be writing while I was watching. Right, right. Um, Went out, uh, had a friend I hadn't seen in quite a while come over, spend a couple of days just hanging out, catching up. And then I suddenly realized, oh, shit. What's next? Oh, wait, there's a lot next. Oh, fuck, I'm running out of time. Ah! (laughs) yeah what people don't realize is is is
0: how quickly time has gone i mean i'm sure when you were talking about doing down from 10 i mean you've asked me to step in and do some Mm -hmm. do some voice work for down and 10 and when you first asked me that you said oh yeah i won't need this stuff until june i'm not worried no everything's fine now that was back in april and you thought yeah i've got you know i've got i've got i've got easily two months Mm -hmm. where i can really bang this puppy out now you're looking and it's second week of May coming up and you're just like hey wait a minute <laughs> where the hell did the time go
1: and believe um, it or not I actually I actually um, am going to make the scheduler come very close to it yeah I'm uh, yeah. I'm now 10,000 words off from the completion of the novelization at which point all the dialogue has gone through six drafts and it's ready to go right. out and then while you guys are all recording I'm gonna go back through and do another revision on the narration to get it From being flowy to being gorgeous, then I'll you know then I then I start recording here, and so by the time your dialogue all starts coming in, I'll have the first five or six episodes recorded. Now here's
0: before we get into the the what's coming next, let's talk a little bit about uh, Antithesis itself. Let's talk about the inspiration behind it. What what inspired you to write this extremely epic? Because it did feel very epic to me. This extremely epic. Uh, but not epic sci-fi. This wasn't epic sci-fi or epic space opera or anything like that. This was epic space noir, if you will. Yeah, that's what a good was
1: description. It, what was it that, that that inspired this Blade Runner meets the Maltese Falcon? Oh, I like that. I've been trying to figure out how to sum it up like that. Thank that's,
0: you. That, that's it. That's it, bro. It's Blade it's Runner Blade meets Run- the Maltese Falcon. Blade Runner be, like meets
1: the Maltese Falcon, Yeah.
0: The, the the one thing you're missing, the one thing I think you're missing though, mm-hmm. is that, uh, and it still gives me chills, is that classic line, the very end of the film. What is it? It's the stuff the that dreams are dreams made of. are made of. Oh God! When Bogie delivered that, um, and you know, you, you're gonna you're going you're gonna want to spank me when you see me in a, in a few weeks. Um, I had not seen The Maltese Falcon until holy recently. until recently. Wow. Until I, I, in fact, I I tell you what, I was treating myself. I had just finished. Picture's Mm-hmm. and I decided to treat myself. So I sat down and I watched The Maltese Falcon, and I was like, "Holy crap! What a movie!" Yeah. So, so, so I think, that, but I think I think that's a that's an accurate description of antithesis. So, what inspired? And if you say Blade Runner and Maltese Falcon inspired antithesis, I'm going to spank you when I see you. So, <laughs> well,
1: I, they they may have, but not consciously. I mean, I I loved Blade Runner was the first R-rated movie I was allowed to see as a child. <laughs> Really? Yeah. You're that young? Um, I was uh, see, I was 12, and my dad uh, said, "Okay, yeah. you're old enough here. Yeah, we've got it on." Yeah, you're a youngin', bro. You're a youngin'. Well, I was uh, okay. three or four when it came out. I'm 30, turning 32 in a couple months here.
0: Ah, oh, you little, you little, you little
1: baby. <laughs> All right. Ah, uh, you're so, not that so, old.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so so you you saw
1: Blade Runner was your first R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but before, obviously, that, that, yeah. was, that was an influence. That yeah, was an but, yeah. An influence, and, and the Maltese Falcon and uh, and other uh, John Huston films were big influences too because I had a lot of old film noir in the house growing up. Love the Maltese Falcon and the Big Sleep were my two favorites, but also mm-hmm. Treasure of the Sierra Madre and Key Largo and all those great old films, right? Um, those, those were background mush, but they didn't specifically inspire me. Um, I think what initially got me going was um I had this friend when I was growing up um named Doug Reeves. I you may know you may know the name now. <laughs> <laughs> from the book. Well, yeah, and, I, and I
0: remember what you said in your, uh, in, in your, in your closing credits, which, which was a very touching, uh, very, very touching
1: shout-out to him. Mm, and it's actually that's a condensed version of the story. Basically, I went back. Um, I moved away from, uh, from the old neighborhood when I was seven. Went back for a visit when I was 12, and we had both started writing. I had just finished my first novel, such as it was. And he was in the middle of working on this grand epic space um, crime and punishment drama. That he never wound up writing, but he sat and pitched it to me one night. He had this idea for a, drama, or for a society where the whole capital punishment appeals process, which was irritating to a Texan, right. wasn't an issue because the judge would just shoot the guy when sentence was passed. Wow, there you go. And I thought, you know, that's kind of ballsy. And that idea stuck in my head, and when I found out that he'd, just, he'd given up on writing and he'd gone on to, uh, I think he became like an international choral singer. I said, well, I'm going to use that idea. And I sat down and I tried to build a universe around it when I was 15. And um, got, uh, drew, drew from a bunch of places. Uh, got the, Joss Kyle was inspired by the Russian ambassador in Hunt for Red October. And you know, I, I pulled things in from everywhere. Built this whole universe and this plot and looked at it and went, I can't write this. I'm not, I'm not old enough yet. I don't understand the issues I'll be playing with. And so I put it away. Almost forgot it existed until eight years later when um, I got so sick of the Sting song, Shape of My Heart, which had been stuck in my head since I first saw um, the Luke Besson film, The Professional. Oh, right, right, right. right. um, That I sat down and wrote a scene about that character so I could get the fucking song out of my head. Because I mean it'd been an earworm for me for years, literally. Wait, are you talking about Leon? Or are you talking about the little girl? Okay. No, no, I'm talking about the song that goes over the end credits of that. Right, show. I know, but I was wondering you said you wrote it around that character. No, no, I wrote it around the character described by the song. Ah, the card player. Okay. Got it. Got it. And got that it, got was with some very minor revisions. That's the first scene in Predestination about Alex Hart and his name being a cruel pun because he's heartless, right? Right. That was that scene, and i I wrote the scene and I liked it, and I put it away, and I could rest from the music and I sent the scene out to a friend of mine, he's like, "Oh, this is a great, this is a great first scene. you should tell a story." So I wrote the story of Josh Kyle coming through the station and escaping and I sent it off to my friend, and he said, "So what happens next?" So I wound up writing this series of short stories, and at one point, Kitty looked at me and said, "Um." why don't you just admit you're writing a novel? You'll have a much easier time of it. (laughs) And at that point, I went, oh, okay, I'm writing a novel. And a lot of this sounds familiar, so I went and dug out the old uh, outlines, and turns out I was writing that series without intending to write that series. And so at that point, I sat down and, and remapped the plot and got three volumes, which in the intervening years has turned into five and was it was was it always intending to be science fiction was it always oh, yeah. intending
0: to be to be be uh <clears throat> set set in this uh in this uh, um uh you know in, in this in this far in this far reaching universe where it just seems like everybody was corrupt or slightly corrupt or mm-hmm. or just having a really bad day in your in your 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 pocket of the universe
1: well yeah it was always intended to be dark like that and it was always intended to be science fiction um I thought it would be really interesting to replay the this is long before I read Moon as a harsh mistress I uh, thought okay. it would be I thought it would be really interesting to replay the American Revolution um with America as the bad guys and and a new colony out in space as the good guys mm-hmm. and years later when I read Moon as a harsh mistress I had to change what I was planning to do so I didn't uh, duplicate what Heinlein had already done better than anyone else could do it so Right But um, So it was always intended to be that, and that was partly partly because I'm a history buff, and partly because the mid-90s I got so sick of science fiction that depended on aliens that looked like Japanese people, or something like that. Okay, okay. I mean, I loved Deep Space Nine, I loved Star Trek, but I was having more and more trouble finding any science fiction that didn't rely on aliens as a conceit in order for the story to work. Right, right, right. And it was bugging me, and I thought, well, you know, there's this vast stretch of time between the time we get off planet and the time we get out of the solar system when it's just going to be us having to deal with this alien environment and all the kinds of conflict that come up when you're in a closed cabin fever situation. So you I- basically
0: You basically took the
1: Firefly route. Right, I took the Firefly you took the fire, route.
0: Yeah, you, you took the Firefly route, which which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, uh, one of the things I've noticed of late is that, for me, the best, the, the best two um, <clears throat> uh, television series that have come out of late concerning science fiction, apart from – well, no, I'll, I'll throw the third one in there as well. Uh, there's Firefly, there's Battlestar Galactica, and then there's Eureka. Mm, I haven't seen and the Eureka. Thing I, Love. Oh
1: Eureka's just a lot of fun. Love Firefly. I loved Battlestar Galactica up until the last half hour.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. You're you're in that camp. I understand. But um but at the same time, no, you're absolutely right. I mean the the thing that that's great about Eureka BSG and and uh um and Firefly is that you never saw the bugheaded aliens. You can't mm-hmm. even count Reavers as bug headed aliens because the Reavers were in fact humans, and as we mm-hmm. found out in Serenity, they were uh, as a matter of fact, one of the uh, one of the outer outer planet uh, out yep. of the planet colonies. Now, um, <clears throat> um, with with all that being said, the the, the, the thing that's uh, that, that I want to talk about with antithesis is is the um, let's see what how does one put this tastefully? Um, I don't think you can. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. These people. There were times when I needed to watch bsg as a pick-me-up after i'd heard antithesis really um yeah i mean wow yeah i mean antithesis is
1: very heavy yeah
0: uh ext- and and i i i try to i, I try to explain it to people when that when they ask me you know should i have a listen to antithesis i go just make sure you're not doing anything else
1: because it's just, it, it's both heavy and intricate yeah you get lost it, it,
0: but 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 less it, it was less than the intricate i mean I don't mean this in a bad way, but I would have to make sure that if there was something, of course, near the end, antithesis is one of the top listens for me. If I mm-hmm. found a new antithesis, it would be the first thing I'd listen to. But the, the way things have been going of late, um, I listen to um, – the order would be is I would, if, uh, if, if, a new, um, if a new Weather Child was out, I'd listen mm-hmm. to that first. Uh, if a new Murder at Avedon Hill or Metamore City was out, I'd listen to those first. I'd listen to Antithesis last mainly because of two things. One, I would never feel good at the end of, of the episodes mm-hmm. because these characters because the the situations were so dark. Yeah, they're wa- they're, and they're they're all walking through hell.
1: And, yeah, and, and my and, question and is, and you suffer why, with them? Yeah.
0: Why 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 are you why were you making these characters suffer? What what did they do to you? What did they do to you, <laughs> Sawyer? I mean. <laughs> Well, you sound like a really fun guy, and now, and, and now yeah. I you know and, and I listen to the to to, to the roundtables you have, and then I listen to what you
1: write, and I'm like, my God, this guy needs some Prozac. Good <laughs> Lord, you know. Well, part of part okay. Well, there's a few things going on. Part of it is that um, I have always really liked dramas where the characters have to earn their happy endings. Hmm. Okay. And um like uh one of my one of my early influences was Stephen Donaldson who writes these books. I'm try I'm trying desperately not to write as dark as he does because as well as he sells it's very niche because he's right he writes these books where the characters don't just go through hell but they they start out all of them evil and then some of them get humanized, right? Right. And and it's fascinating, but it's really, really hard to get through, because you're not just going through hell with them, but you're going through hell with them and hating them the whole time. Right. Um, And I don't quite want to do that, but I have walked through some very, very dark places in my life, and you don't—a good person, uh, as in you know, a person who is concerned about doing the right thing, a person who is generally a person of goodwill, doesn't operate on malice— Going through those kinds of situations, in order to survive, has to trade part of their humanity away, at least for a while. And then the process of getting it back is uh, is painful and wrenching, and particularly once you've realized you've lost it. And I've, I've been through things like that myself, and I've seen people go through it. And it's not an experience that a lot of the fiction in our culture prepares you for or allows you to, to, to sort of practice before you run into it. And so I saw that as, um, as a, you know, to 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 be and uh, completely cynical as a gap in the market, but also I didn't think that the kind of situation this is, um, a war, you know, the the beginnings of a war involving politicians and uh, organized crime. I just couldn't quite live with myself making people like that warm and fuzzy. Well, I'm not saying I have to make
0: everybody warm and fuzzy, right. but I'm saying you know it just seemed like everybody had, everyone had a burning issue, mm-hmm. and um, and I was pretty blown. I, I mean, I, I think he still handled it. I, I I still think he handled it pretty well. And the the funny thing uh, that I, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around, and I think this was the effect you were going for, is I didn't feel like that the ending was a downer. But I also Excellent. didn't feel like it was – I didn't feel like it was a happy-go-lucky ending either. Yeah, I was aiming um, for a
1: bittersweet kind of Empire Strikes Back ending.
0: Yeah, and and and, um, and I, I, I got to admit, I enjoyed that. It just – I was worried where um, – I, th- I think what it was was I, I felt like even with everything that had happened, there was still a very odd sense of
1: hope. I'm not sure what I that hope so was. I'm glad that came through. Yeah, because ultimately, but the, the ultimately both the the arc itself and in at least from my point of view, the first book is a hopeful story, right? Um, it's, right, and, it, I, and, and I saw that. Cool. I'm so glad that came through. I was really worried that it wouldn't. Well,
0: but the thing is, but that's just it. You've made it so intricate that that's why I tell people. Make sure you're not doing anything like like you're trying to multitask mm. because you could easily miss something. And yeah. and and there were some things that that I, I was like, I was like, oh wait a minute, and I'd had to go back and listen to it a second or third time. But that was what I noticed was that 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 all these things started to fall in the place near the end, and and by the end of the story. Um, I want. I want to say five episodes before the end. I was like, I was like, okay, it's all coming to a head now, mm-hmm. and and it's it's you know that's that I, I was just holding on. Um, so so I I did. I I enjoyed that. It was just it was just. I I think what I was what I was really telling myself throughout the whole thing was is please let there be some semblance of hope, because that's why I almost bailed on BSG. I almost bailed on BSG because everyone was having such a bad time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't hack it anymore. I was yeah. like I was like can can we please have at least one moment where somebody yeah. smiles on this yeah. damn show? Se- season and, three and I...
1: particularly was really a downer. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. It and was. I thought it was and... well done, but I you know, I if if I had not had I've got a, a a group of friends I watched every week with and it was the you know the social highlight of my week because we would have a potluck right. and then we'd hang out in the hot tub afterwards and talk about it. Right. If I didn't have that going on, I would have waited until the season was done and then watched it straight through because otherwise, it would have been too much of a downer for me.
0: Yeah, but I mean, but I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that bad with Antithesis. With Antithesis,
1: oh, I felt. I
0: felt like things were starting to come around near the end, and then you had that. You had that really nice ending. But now let's talk about the production itself. Okay. So, so how. Did you know? I mean, it, it, it's obvious, and you know, I've heard you talk about it before on other roundtables. You've, you've you've worked with audio before. Yes. What were the challenges that you felt?
1: What were the challenges in working with uh, with the the talent that you had? Um. Well, the first challenge, and you can really hear it over the first four episodes, though. Um, by the time it gets on Patio Books next week, hopefully, you won't be able to because I'm remixing them. I um I had a bunch of new equipment and software I started working with because I, I had figured out um, a couple of projects back that I needed to ditch Audacity. I had uh, I've mixed three feature length projects in Audacity, uh, two wow two two stage plays multi camera stage plays d- DVDs, and one blues concert. You are a braver man than I, Gunga Din. And oh my God, the amount of work that takes. Yeah. Yeah, and I realized I needed to bite the bullet and move up to a pro editor because I needed to be able to do automated pans and automated EQ changes and complex reverbs and all that stuff. So, what are you using? I'm using Ardour, which is an open source uh, Pro Tools type of uh, Pro Tools type of program. How old is Ardour? Um, it's been around for about uh, eight years. It's been professionally usable for about three. It's, Let me ask you this: Does it does it support? And, it, and so it's open source, so it's free. It's free, and it runs on Mac and Linux, not on Windows, because Windows doesn't have real time audio support. Does it? Does it?
0: Um, does it support um, uh, multi track editing? I mean, sorry, multi track uh,
1: recording. Oh. oh yeah, really? Oh yeah. I'm uh, right okay, now. But- right now, I'm recording this. I've got you coming in on the left channel, and me coming in on the right channel. Okay, well then, uh, to the to the dumbass geek that picked a fight with me about uh, about the open
0: source software, and I told him didn't exist because it was free, and he wanted all these features on, including multi
1: multi uh, multi track recording. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, this so, is multi-track um, recording mic, uh, MIDI. It supports many, LADSPA and VST, and it'll allow how many you, tracks? Can, how many tracks can you multi? Can, can you record on? It Depends on how fast your hard drive is. The faster your hard uh-huh. drive is, the more you can do. Um, I on my setup here, I can funnel about eight tracks at a time before it starts dropping out. And I've got kind of an old computer. If I you've got no if you've thing. got a nice fast uh, serial ATA disk with a lot of space on it, you should be able to get twelve tracks without a problem. So, you, so we were talking about the
0: challenges. So, you moved up to some new hardware, and you, there was—I take it there was a, there was a learning curve there, right? Yeah, there
1: was a learning curve. I got a mixing surface, and and, and basically, and, and the biggest part moving over from Audacity was I couldn't bring any of my EQ presets, so I had to learn yeah. to work with the new EQ tools I had. So my voice pretty much sounds like shit in the first few episodes. Um that and uh, figuring out the balance between how much background music and noise and and how to do the e q notches so everybody 's voices showed up without swamping the signal and making it all fuzzy you know right that that was a big pain in the ass the first three or four episodes, but you know as you can hear as you listen along, episode four is where it fell into place, and from then on it sounds really good. So, um, now what about,
0: uh, but what about the voice talent? I mean, had you ever done anything this, this epic in scale where you had so many people, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. involved?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is the second most complex project I've ever done. It's the first most complex that I ever successfully completed. The first most complex I ever attempted was a film called Hunting Kestrel, which I shot on a budget of $15,000, had a cast of 35, shot the whole thing on a green screen. We shot it over nine months, got the whole thing finished um, and edited and half the sound done before I realized that my entire uh, computer graphics team had all grown up and gone away to college. Um, I had farmed a bunch. I had a site called Blender Wars and I had mentored um, a stable of, uh, of computer graphics artists in high school who were looking to build their reel. And they were going to help me, but it took me long enough to get the production done that they all went to college and didn't have time. And so the wow. project died for lack of uh, visual effects. But um, but that was uh, far more complex than this, and I knew I had learned from that about scheduling and managing actors and how to direct well so that you get the right alternate take and as few takes as possible. And um, the other thing I got from that was the um, completion of the series because originally I said it was supposed to be a three book series. Now it's a five book series. Hunting Kestrel has become book five. So book five is. Oh wow. Written. And uh, then book four bridges what was going to be book three with book five. And okay, it...
0: now what about um? Well, right, so so with all with all of your experience with, with audio and video and with uh, with antithesis wrapping up, what is the uh, what are the
1: lessons that you that you learned from this project? What you know? What 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 are you walking away from this with? Um, your your notion about a five bu- uh, episode buffer? Yeah. Total bullshit. Oh, really? Record the whole thing. You, <laughs> next time for Down From Ten, I'm not dropping the first episode till everything's recorded. Not everything will be mixed and edited, but everything will be recorded. What I found was uh, kept what, what screwed me up, on? I kept a one-week release schedule, one week to ten days, very regularly up until late November when I got sick. Right, And the thing is, I wasn't non-functional sick. I was fine. I was working. I was on a convention. I was having a lot of fun. But I had a throat cold. Right. And it is amazing how little it takes to fuck your voice up enough that you can't record. Okay. And then that happened again to me after I went to do a job in Portland this spring. So I lost a total of about eight weeks. This podcast was supposed to be done March 1st. And I lost eight weeks. By right, being right. by having a throat cold because I hadn't pre-recorded my narration, I pre-recorded all the li- all the by by the time episode six dropped, I had everybody's voice tracks in for the whole except for little uh, bit parts, you know, players that had one line here and one line there, and I kept those open to try to give to fans and other podcasters to help with cross promotion and stuff, and so I kept those open and gave them on the fly, like that one line that you had, and you know that kind of thing, but. Um, Next time I'm pre-recording everything, because see, I've i debated about that, and I honestly think that a
0: ten a ten episode buffer is actually even better. Oh yeah, but my pro- my problem with uh with the um the 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 five episode the reason why I, I would I would uh, call shenanigans on your bullshit mm-hmm. is because I currently have a a, a a podcast that I did and I started and I and I created a five buffer podcast for it. And I still haven't used up that five that five oh, right. um,
1: the uh, the one you've got on um on social on media. I imagine that studios, right? yeah. yeah, on social media.
0: Okay, well let and, me let me
1: qualify that. For a fiction podcast.
0: For a fiction podcast, the five the five the five episode buffer. Now remember that came from patio books and we were just trying right. to weed out the people that wanted to say ah, Yeah, I wanna okay. do a pod, I wanna do a patio book. It's like, Okay, yeah. cut the first five episodes and then get back to us. Gotcha. And a lot
1: of times people would say,
0: Oh, no thanks you know and then they, they kind of walk away from it um yeah. and it wasn't
1: just you that told me that either that, uh, two weeks before i started recording i sat down and had a drink with sigler and he said oh yeah five episodes you'll be fine you'll just be sure to drop weekly and i was like oh okay But yeah, but see, it's easy uh, not not to not to dish a little bit on
0: Siggy. It's easy for Sigler, right? Because he just does the
1: straight readings like that. He
0: does he does the straight reading, and you know um, now you go back. I I I love telling this story about Siggy.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: he contacted me in the early days. We're talking in 05, right? And he was saying to me. Uh, he said he he said, You know what you need to do, man. And I said, What? And he was like he was like, You need to scale back your production. You're doing way too much production. And this <laughs> is when he was doing Earth Corps and I was doing Moravi. Right. Well then, then Siggy gets nocturnal. on and he says he says, you know, I'm gonna do something with some production. So I'm gonna do this thing called Nocturnal. And I laughed. Um, I laughed when people were giving him shit and I said, Welcome to my world, Siggy. Mm-hmm. Um now granted <laughs> I, I think a lot of it I think a lot of it. I don't think he knew what he was getting himself into. Mm-hmm. And oh there's a shocker for Siggy.
1: Um but it, uh it, yeah it's Sigler's uh Sigler's strength is that he'll jump into a pool and he doesn't know there are sharks there and then exactly. he'll and then he'll kill them. Right, right. He'll kill he'll, <laughs> he'll kill them with his will.
0: Right. Um I'm sorry that's Matt Wallace. Matt no, Wallace no, no. kills S- things S- S- Sigler will.
1: will blind them with the the reflection on his head and then kill that's that the, there is that. Yes. But going but I have to say these things while I've still got hair because it's going fast. There you go.
0: <laughs> now, my, my thing is, though, with, uh, with, with, with the decision to go, as you did with this, with this very, mm. very intricate production, um, why did you do that? I mean, why didn't you just, you know, because Siggy is absolutely right. If you're doing a straight read, uh, a buffer of five shows is fine. Mm. Why did you decide you wanted to go with a full cast and uh, you know production and 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 all the different things that you did? I mean, um, you know, when, when you when you and Chris were talking about the influences of Billy Batting's, I was flattered. But really, I mean, I got to give props where props as due. I felt like the bar was raised when I first heard Tracy Hickman do the Immortals, and I said, okay, mm-hmm. that's the bar I've got to clear. And oh, yeah. I listened to, and then that's when I started doing the whole the whole guest voices thing. And before the end of it, I was, I was really like, oh, my gosh, most, I, I didn't realize I had a cast of 30. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so it's very easy to, to to build up your cast. But yeah. my but again, my question is, why did you make the choice of
1: going full production versus um, versus just doing the straight read? I think I had uh, – let's see. I'm thinking through – I think there's four reasons. Uh, one of them is that I grew up on radio dramas and I just have a deep and abiding love of audio theater. And um, I discovered full cast audiobooks. Actually, before I found Billy Battings, there's a, there's a company in Vermont that does, uh, they're called Fullcast Audio. And they do full cast reads of audiobooks. Um, not fully produced, but uh, they, they've got good readers and it's very engaging. So there was that. I've always loved that and I wanted to be able to share that love you know, with other people. Um, second thing was my, I've got one female voice I can do with the help of a pitch shifter. And she's right. a very, very, uh, proper Victorian woman. And other than that, my, my female voices are for shit. And <sighs> the problem is that if you look at, which I'm actually going to release this because people have been begging me for it because there are so many characters, they have trouble keeping them straight sometimes. Um, when I, re- re- when I released the Dramatis Personae... You'll look through and you'll notice that about 70% of all the characters in the book are women, which presents a problem for an uh, author with a gravelly tenor voice like I've got. <laughs> I didn't Wouldn't do help, it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, God help him. I don't know how Sigler does it because his female voices are just cartoon awful. He
0: doesn't. He doesn't do the voices. That's the point. He's, he, he gets, and mean, he gets away with it. Yeah, well, he gets away with it because he 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 makes it he makes it a point of saying my 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 female voices suck, and uh, yeah. and and it's always fun to listen to. But but you know, yeah, but he gets away with it because he's you know he's selling it. Mm-hmm. He he never flinches at it. There's a right. difference between knowing you can't do it but still selling it anyway, mm-hmm. versus going out there and going, okay, I'm going to suck at this, and then you wind up sucking even harder.
1: Right, you know, yeah. um, but but um, but, I, but yeah, but anyway, I couldn't see myself doing that, um, right, so you went I, I on could, ahead, and- I didn't think I could take editing my own voice sounding like that that much, right? right. <laughs> Part of it was that I was I was kind of stinging from hunting Kestrel when that when I finally had to give up on that, uh, it was actually only last year that I finally threw in the towel after five years of trying to get it finished. Um, I really wanted to make my movie. And uh, if I wasn't going to make it with film, I was going to make it with audio. Um, yeah, you know, I was going to throw all the production tricks I learned doing Hunting Kestrel at this book so that I could at least get a grand-scale production set in the same universe because you dump that much of your life into something and you want something to come from it. So I wanted to employ all the skills I learned so that it wouldn't have all been for nothing. Okay. Um. And the final part of it was, I wanted to be able to stand out. I knew going in that the story was going to be hard to take and uncomfortable for a lot of people. That is dark. That the basically until people got to know the characters and got you know got a good good ways into Act Two, because the beginning of Act Two is the really depressing part. Um, that I was going to need to have something else to carry them along. One of the things I did was. Make sure to cut the episodes on cliffhangers so that they draw you along, even if you were pissed off. Sure. And the other thing was to raise the production bar so high that people would keep coming back for the immersion, even if they were even if they were upset by what was happening in the story. Now, um,
0: speaking of that, speaking of
1: that, I am I'm, I'm curious, where do you feel, uh,
0: from a podcaster's perspective, <clears throat> where do you feel is the line between audio drama? And an audio book. Um, do you find that podcasting is just sort of saying, screw the lines, we just want to do it the way we want to do it?
1: I think that um, that the line between them is the role the narrator has. If the narrator is describing what the characters are seeing, then it's a book. If the narrator if the characters are describing what they're seeing, it's an audio drama. Which is why, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, even the audio books are <clears throat> almost audio dramas because the narrator doesn't do much of the describing what the characters see. The characters do that in conversation between themselves. Right. The narrator just throws in snarky comments and little asides. But I think if I if I was forced to draw the line, that would be it. It would be that the um that the narration in an audio drama is largely external. Uh, done by the characters out loud or in in internal monologue, rather than um, rather than third person. Uh, Billy Batting's I'd actually shuffle a little bit further towards audio drama because it's first person and you voiced the character that you were narrating. Mm-hmm. You could get away with calling that an audio drama, whereas with a third person book like mine, I don't think you could. Right. Um, oh, I got my first my first question on Twitter. It's from uh, Odin
0: One Eye. He <laughs> asks, <clears throat> what would Joss Kyle do for his mom on Mother's Day?
1: If she was still alive? If I she would, were still alive. Uh, he'd probably go have coffee with her. <laughs> Maybe play no, a card no, game.
0: Nothing, nothing, dynamic, nothing, nothing dynamic like like shoving her in a shoebox or anything oh, no, like it's, that. It's, you know?
1: it's, yeah, it's, yeah, Joss... I, I've had so much fun with people, people's reactions to Joss Kyle because I either get people thinking he's a pussycat and then being shocked at the extreme things that he does when he's backed into a corner, or people thinking that he's this Machiavellian master of the universe. Sure. Really, what you've got is a guy who is willing to do anything he needs to to save his skin and preserve his integrity, and is willing to let the rest of the universe go to hell in the process. And he loves his mother! But, yeah. But, but, and that's the he thing. Love he loves his mother. He loves his family. He loves his kids. He loved his wife. He just wasn't willing to give up his own skin in order to stay with them. Right. So okay. he's, Josh Kyle is an average guy who's a little bit more calculating and self centered than usual. What's really funny is I
0: looked at this question. And I was like, why would Dan care about what Joss Whedon's going to be doing with his uh. mother? <laughs> So I, I still, I still, have, I still have a dollhouse on the brain, but uh, uh, I haven't
1: watched that. I'm waiting for the first season to finish.
0: Um, well, it just did. It oh, just okay. did last night. Here's my, here's my recommendation. Mm-hmm. Watch the first two episodes. All right. Maybe three. Then skip to the last four episodes.
1: Oh man. Okay. I,
0: I, I mean, uh, just as a complete aside, and I'm sure I'm going to be pissing off a lot of your Whedon fans out there, um, I think Dollhouse is going to be going down as the greatest tragedy of Joss Whedon's career, mm-hmm. mainly because um, if he had done in the last four episodes, uh, th- if, if he had had an entire season of the last four episodes, I would have been thrilled. Mm-hmm. And I would have said that 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 Dollhouse was some of the best stuff he had ever come up with. Um, what I say now is 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 um, he was asking a lot. He was asking a lot for people to wait until episode seven or episode. I think actually, for me, it was episode eight. Mm-hmm. To to wait through eight episodes of crap. Oh man! To get to to get to four episodes of absolute nail biting. Whedon at his finest it it was tight it was solid it was everything I wanted oh and ironically the show started to get really good when Alan Tudyk showed up (gasps) fancy (laughs) that he knows how
1: to work with yeah I yeah. have I have an I have an ambiguous relationship with the works of Joss Whedon. Um I loved Firefly thought it was refreshing and original and yeah. and and was, was and the thing I liked most about it was that it took its own rules seriously, which a lot of televised science fiction doesn't do and it pisses me off. Right. But um I've got an ambi- a bit of a ambivalent relationship with him. I think he's I think he's overrated in, in kind of the way that, that people who loved Gene Roddenberry loved everything he did uncritically, but that's not to say I don't think he's good. Well, that's the see that's the difference though between that's the difference between a fan and a fanboy or a fangirl. That's true. That
0: that that, that that's my feelings. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I
1: think and on that scale I'd be a fan but not a fanboy.
0: Yeah. Now you see, I, I I I would argue that I'm almost a fanboy of uh, Rockne S. O'Bannon.
1: Don't know him. because oh wait, wait I uh, loved, FarScape. Yeah, I loved I oh, loved FarScape. Everything was in Farscape. so much fun.
0: FarScape was just a freaking hoot.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I'm trying to think of something from Rockne S. Bannon that I didn't like. I think there is something out there that I saw of his that I didn't like, but I went into denial and said, "No, it's good. It's good. It's good." <laughs> but um, you know, the the whole thing is, you know, the, that that's. That was my feelings towards Dollhouse. Was the, the you know, and I I am more disappointed to hear. I mean, because I remember when Tabs was tweeting it, and Tabs tweeted something on uh, on Twitter where where she said uh, Whedon was embarrassed by the by some of the choices that, that he was that he had to make to appease Fox, and I and, and when I saw that, I nearly I nearly had a conniption fit because I'm like, no, that, that's a cop out. That's a cop out because it was Fox. The same people that screwed him the first time with Firefly. He should have known, you know, and, and I'm sorry,
1: once <clears throat> the fool, shame on you. Twice the fool, shame on yeah, me. And I, I've, got, I've got another good example for that. Uh, you remember Uh-oh. J. Michael Straczynski, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Saw so him give, a, so give a, a talk at, uh, at uh, oh, whatever, the WonderCon up here in San Francisco last year. Uh-huh. Once he got uh-huh. up on the stage, man, dude's showing, who's was answering questions, and someone asked, what happened to Jeremiah? The, um, the show he did for Showtime. All oh, right, right, right. And, and yeah. when's it coming back? When are we going to see the rest of the series? And he said, it's never happening. And they're like, why? And he said, let me make an analogy to you. That show was produced by MGM Television. MGM Television is to quality storytelling what Auschwitz is to health spas. Oh, jeez. And I'm never wow. working with them again. And he's turned down three series with them because he didn't want them fucking with his work. Right. Right. You know, it means he's he's got less visibility, but he's someone you know you're gonna get a reliably consistent product with the same kinds right. of flaws and the same kinds of brilliance anytime you go because he's very careful about maintaining creative control.
0: So so on creative control, let's bring it back to antithesis, since I didn't mean to necessarily go on that tangent. <laughs> but um but but with um uh, but now with an, now with antithesis done, and speaking of quality control, see to me this is where the tricky part comes. The tricky part isn't doing your first audio book novel; it's mm-hmm. stepping up and doing your second audio book, uh, <laughs> your, your second audio book project. So what? So speaking of quality control, what is next on the qu- quality control list
1: of J. Daniel Sawyer? Down from ten. Is
0: the okay. Next tell, tell us, tell us something about Down from Then.
1: Is is, 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 it, is it, it is not a sequel. It is not. But any, it is set. It is set in the same universe. Correct. Actually, it's set in 2015 in a mountain cabin in the Sierra Nevada. It's um. Let's see. I've been working on my elevator pitch because I knew you'd be interviewing me for the exit interview. Yeah. And uh, I think I c- It could best be described as Douglas Adams rewrites The Shining as a sex comedy. Ew. Okay. Okay. Ew. You, oh, you, okay. Maybe that's not a good pitch. You, no, but no, no. I'm just saying
0: you're going to need to work on that because that, that, that kind of makes my head hurt. Um, but, 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 <laughs> okay. But tell me, tell me more about the actual plot itself. Um, the actual or tell plot me what you itself. can tell me. Okay.
1: There, there's a group of artists who every year get together for a 10-day retreat in the mountains right after the new year. Right. This year, um, 2015, is a particularly bad year for snow. And they've got a few new members of the Circle, and there's eight of them up there. They're in this relatively uh, spacious mountain McMansion, and they get buried by an avalanche. And it's a blizzard first and then an avalanche on top. So they make sure that they've got enough food, they've got good water pressure, they've still got electricity, and they've got enough uh, passages and vents to be able to breathe reliably. They realize that they're not they're not going to be able to hike out anywhere because the trees are buried, so they're not going to, you know, finding landmarks and getting help is going to be a big problem. So they set someone up on the CB to monitor for um, local search and rescue in the area. They plant a flag and then they hunker down to wait. And being all fairly intelligent folks, they know about cabin fever and mass psychology, and they do think you know they trade art projects and have interesting conversations and play a lot of uh, very entertaining and comical games in order to keep themselves relatively sane. Right. Basically doing what they were planning to do on their retreat anyway. Problem is, second night they're up there, the first night after the avalanche, people start having strange dreams. And as far as they can tell, being attacked in their sleep by something they can't see. And as the week goes on, the dreams get more vivid and they become visions and the attacks get more memorable. And they start talking to each other and they realize that it's not just that they're all having weird dreams and they're a little, you know, they're a little stir crazy. They're actually all having the same dream with little bitty inflections that are different based on their personal history. Right. And at that point, they realize that something is very, very wrong. How about this then? How about calling it "The Shining Meets Clue"? Okay, that that works too.
0: Okay, okay. So 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 that's that's what you've got. That's what you've got
1: coming down the pike. Now, when mm-hmm.
0: do you think that's going to happen? When do you think that that's going to?
1: Um, depending on what everyone's schedule is, and I know Balticon's going to throw a monkey wrench. It's either I'm either going to drop the first episode by Memorial Day, or I'm going to drop the first episode the weekend you're out here.
0: Oh, ooh, um, okay. Middle of June and well, then we can and then we can record a little round table round table celebration yeah that that would be good break out the wine and the cigars and just kick back and enjoy ourselves a yeah
1: sounds so, good but uh yeah so it's either going to be uh, Memorial Day or it's going to be June 16th um gotcha. and then once that drops it's going to drop every week um until it's done and i think there's 22 chapters Right. And now, you, and that's, that was the other thing, too. Now, um, after you wrap this
0: up, you're going to go straight into production for uh, for free will, free will, correct? Yep. And are you going to have it all recorded? Or are you going to actually do oh. this buffer where, where you're going to try to do the buffer of, of maybe
1: as many episodes as you can and then just try to stay ahead of the buffer? What's the plan there? Um, it really depends on how fast the second uh, draft goes. Um, right. If, if I can get the writing done by early August, I can get the production uh, more or less I can at least get all the recording done and uh, quite a bit of the production done before September 9th. But if I'm riding all the way up to the wire, I may be uh, struggling to get ahead once uh, once I start. I guess the last thing to the last
0: thing to uh, to say uh, to say is um, now that you've got a little bit of down, a little bit of downtime on your hands, what are you listening to? Actually, I just discovered
1: hardcore history hardcore history, oh yeah, um oh God, i can't remember the website if you search for hardcore history, it comes up it's a it's a deep history podcast doodle write um write like a twenty or thirty page paper on a particular historical event or person he finds interesting, and explore all the networked connections of that event to other things that were going on and how that event event helped shaped our world It's very james burkish, lots of fun, really thought provoking. Very well produced. Well, um, actually, I'm, I'm
0: looking at it right here. You, he actually has two podcasts. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's got uh, it's Dan Carlin's yeah, dan Hardcore carlin. History, and he has another one called Common Sense with Dan Carlin, yeah. and that's at dan carlin d a n c a r l i n dot com. <laughs> and uh, there you go. You you click on enter, and you'll find whatever
1: he's. Got on his plate. Nice. So okay. Um, um, so that, and that's what you're listening to. So that one, I just, of course, I just finished up Metamore City because I had to be current to record the last feedback episode tomorrow with Chris. Oh sure, sure, sure. Um, sure. I Contagious is in my list of things to catch up on, mm-hmm. but uh, I haven't, I uh, haven't listened to that at all yet. Um, you know, I don't. I just. Oh, oh, and uh, Weather Child. I'm listening to Weather Child, but. Um, I'm actually kind of out of the loop. The last six weeks, I've been just so buried in getting, you know, the 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 joy of getting it done.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, what 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 you're saying here is that you know, I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to. This is the part that I tend to really want to put my head to a desk. Mm -hmm. Is when they say stuff. Is when people say stuff like, "Well, can you listen to something?" I'm like, "No." Yeah. You know, because I'm in the middle of. I'm in the middle of this, this 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 podcast, and I've taken it upon myself to do this very, very high intense uh, production value. Mm-hmm. And especially when your episodes run as long as yours and as mine, mm-hmm. um, I just, you know, I, I, I get to podcast when they the heck. I haven't even finished listening to some of the Solar Clipper series.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've listened. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I listened I listened to uh, I, I listened to quarter share, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going I want to get in a half share, but right now, I mean, I've just been trying to. I've, I've been. I've been. I've been trying to meet my deadlines and also get better. But I mean, that's mm-hmm. that. That's that. the The, the point is, is that when you're doing this, this this level of production, yeah, it is it is hard to listen to
1: or, or it is yeah, hard to, to stay to get, current with yeah, some of the stuff that's happening. And to give them the up. attention they deserve, for sure. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, absolutely. A, yeah, and like you, I don't have a commute. You know, we're, we're both freelancers most of the time. yeah, And so, yeah. you know, it's not like we've got that time in the car dependably or on the train where we can listen through. I, I, I have a two-minute commute. I get out of bed. I sit down in my chair first thing in the morning, check email, and do my to-do list. And then right. I'm usually working till 10 at night on something or other. Right, absolutely. Um, which is absolutely. which is why it's important to have a friend or a partner nearby to drag you out of the chair occasionally and say, "Go be social." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, so I don't have the commute to uh, to to pad that out with. So most of the time, if I'm going to listen to something in the middle of another project, I want it to be research. So I'll listen to um, to teaching company series, or I'll watch uh, documentaries in the background, or shit like that. But uh, for fiction, yeah, I've got I like to pay attention, so I have to to wait till I've got a bit of downtime. And of course, with me also every week, particularly the last several weeks when I had new music every week for each episode to help ramp up the tension and the novelty. There was the regular 30-hour production schedule. And then there was the Danny Shade would write the music, send it in, I would suggest a reorchestration, he'd do that, he'd send it in, then he'd send in the tracks and I'd mix them um to make them to make them sound the way I wanted them to sound to reinforce the scene which isn't always the same way you'd want to mix them for like an album and so that was another between 15 and 20 hours on top of that dependably every couple of weeks that I would be spending to get the music done so um
0: and uh what, what for anyone who would want to do something like this whether it's a straight read or whether it's a full production <clears throat> What's your what's your what's your parting uh parting words of wisdom? Um well for all we've been pr- talking about Apart from use apart from use Pip Ballantyne's voice. Oh God, yes. Oh yeah her, <laughs> character,
1: her character has a bigger role in book two, and of course she and you are starring as the leads in Down from Ten. Woot Oh it's gonna be I so can't get much rid fun. of her, she's like a rash. <laughs> Someone pass me the ointment. Oh yeah, but I mean if you're gonna have a rash, talk about one well, that's a knockout. Sh- it's that's a
0: pleasure to scratch because <laughs> it's in a special place. <laughs> oh, as
1: man. you were saying, as I you're, was you're,
0: saying, your parting words of advice. Um,
1: for all we've been talking about production, the the thing, the things I would keep in mind because people have actually been asking me a lot about this at pub crawls and stuff is before you worry about good production, make sure that you've got a good book. Right. Um, Don't put it out there simply because you've written it. Put it out there because you're willing to have your name attached to that. Because people generally will remember you by your worst work unless you get really good, in which case they'll forget it. Right. Um, So make sure whatever stage you're in, make sure it's the best that you can possibly do right now. And be willing to leave it alone once you're all done with it. Um, The other thing is... Take some time to listen to how readings are done and to practice it. Because Hold while... on
0: one second. Hold on one second. And if you want to leave this on pod, you can. Hello? You really don't pay attention to my Twitter feed at all, do you? <laughs> yeah, it's Paul Fisher. Um, oh, hey, I'm, Paul. I'm doing an exit interview right now with somebody, and I was going to ping you as soon as I was done. All right. Okay, you bet. Bye. <laughs> I'm just gonna. In fact, you know, leave that, leave that on pod because you know what? I'm getting so pissed at Paul Fisher right now. Paul Fisher of Dancing Cat Studios at dancingcatstudios.com. He never pays attention to my Twitter feed. He's on Twitter. I know he's on Twitter. He tweets, but he tweets, but he never pays attention. I get a Skype miss. Are you doing anything right now? And I'm looking at my Twitter feed where the last four ones is working on a deadline, working on a deadline, working. No, Paul, I'm not doing a damn thing. <laughs> What's on your mind? I'm sitting here in the corner, mech- you know, you know, macramaying with my pubic hair. What? <laughs> Can I help you? Oh,
1: boy. Jeez. So I love the big palooka, but jeez. <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, we were saying. Um, yes. The. We, yeah. were saying, we were saying the parting advice, and uh, then the we, can, part, uh, the other we can wrap part, this puppy up. Yeah, the other piece of parting advice is um, pay attention. whatever level of production you choose, make sure it's one that you can attain and pay attention to keeping the quality consistent. I can't tell you how many books I've tried to listen to on Patio Books, or, um, and there was even one that I just I, – the writing was so good that I suffered through it, but I really did suffer through it because the, um, the production was so bad. You know, I the, told you I was working as best as I could. I'm a radio master. <laughs> Fuck you. Okay, It no, wasn't that one? Um, I know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention names because it's a great book and people. No, can no, to no, it. no. I totally understand but, what you were um, saying. <clears throat> Dude had had recorded in a room with a high noise floor, and rather than doing an EQ pass, minimizing it as best he could, and massaging the signal a bit, and then just leaving it with a constant noise floor, which is what you need to do because the ear will tune it out. He used a really bad noise reduction plugin set really high, so it'd be like dead silence, and then pfft, dialogue, pfft, and then dead silence. Oh, he was using a he was using a compressor or, a or gate. A noise yeah. gate just in a, just a, a really gate. bad way. Yeah. Oh, and oh man, it it's impossible to listen to that. I the way I wound up listening to it is I put it on some really bad speakers in the other room and turned it up. There you go. That, um, that'll work. But because the story was that good. But make sure your audio is clean. If you're hearing background noise coming up when you're speaking, then you're using your equipment wrong. Um, a, 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 <coughs> low, a low level of fan noise is preferable to a fluctuating level of fan noise. And, of course, yes. no noise sure. at all is far preferable. But it is hard to do, and it takes a while to figure out the tricks. Okay. But pay attention to things like that and to and to like room reverb if you're recording in a room with hardwood floors. Put carpets down. You know, just basic production things like that. Pay attention to it and then finally, listen to the way you read because reading aloud is not natural. Um, particularly the way, we don't write poetry, we don't write like Shakespeare did for the rhythms of the human voice anymore. We write for the rhythm of the eye. And if you're doing an audiobook. You need to spend some time to learn how to read so that your sentences stick together properly so that you don't confuse people by putting a pause in the wrong point of an ironic phrase. Sure, sure, sure. And that's, that's, that's a mistake that a lot of readers of all levels make. They don't pay attention yep. to that. As long as they didn't stumble, they figure it's okay. And they rehearsal,
0: rehearsal is not a bad thing.
1: No, rehearsal is not a bad thing, and neither is editing. Um, I mean, this is going to make me sound incredibly anal retentive, but I, whenever I, when I'm reading through, if I do a delivery that I'm not happy with, whether I stumbled or whether I didn't like my inflection or whether I felt like I was rushing too much, I'll snap so I can see the error on the waveform, and then I'll do it again. Matching my tone as closely as I can so that if I wind up liking something about each take, I can cut in the middle of a word on a vowel and then lap them over together. Absolutely. And little tricks like that make the difference between something that sounds like it was produced in your garage or in, like our cases, your spare bedroom. Right and and something that sounds like it was produced in a real honest to god studio with the expensive equipment. It totally agree. It's the techniques. The equipment helps you level up after you got the techniques down. But if you've got the equipment and not the techniques, it's always going to sound like crap. And spending the little bit of time it takes to get it. To get just the performance and the basic edit right is worth every second you'll put into it because it'll make the difference between something that anyone can listen to and judge just on the basis of the story and something that at least half of us who are audiophiles, because at least half of the people who have iPods and things like that are audiophiles, will turn off because it's painful to listen to, regardless of the quality of the writing, which sometimes is quite high. But if it but if it's but it's like it's like with video yeah <clears throat> it's like with video if it if it's poor if it's poor
0: um if it's poor uh uh if it if it's great
1: video mm-hmm. but poor audio, it's tough to watch,
0: yeah it's tough to watch if
1: it's the other way around it's you'll i mean Roger corman films make a lot of money, they look like shit, but he makes sure to make them sound good. That's right. Well, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap
0: this up. So, uh, Dan, where can people find you again online? Www.jdsawyer.net. They've already
1: www.jdsawyer.net.
0: Okay. And thank you all very much for joining us on this exit interview from Antith- Antithesis, Predestination, and Other Games of Chance, otherwise known as Dan's First Book. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, we will take off. My name is T. Morris. And I'm Dan, Dan Sawyer. thanks a lot. And thank you very much, Dan, for all your hard work in Antithesis.
1: Thank you. This is TGN.